Hey everybody, welcome to Photography Chat, uh, Season 2, Episode 28, uh, with Michael Bellin. Uh, we will just get Michael on here and start the chat. And yeah, how's everyone's week going so far? Hope it's going well. Things have been pretty good up here in Vancouver. There we go, we got Michael in, so let's invite him in. Hi, Spooky Bean. Well, things are well over there. Hello, Michael. Hey, how's it going? Living the dream, man. How are you? Doing good, man. Living the dream now that I'm off the day job. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. What uh, was your day job for the people out there that may not uh, be aware? Uh, I work at a small local bank in my hometown. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very different from what I do uh after five and on the weekends for sure but uh it allows me to do it so yeah i mean like my my day job is very different from my creative endeavors so i, I totally get that yeah yeah thanks for having me on no problem it's great to have you on it's been a while since i've seen you it was uh shit 2019 yeah man that was such a good weekend i and i was hoping that they would do it this year but of course with everything but Hopefully next year. Yeah. And like, you know, it'll probably be better if it's next year because, um, you know, hopefully we'll have COVID a little bit more nailed down and, you know, like variants will calm the fuck down. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be super nice. Agreed. Your beard looks way better than the last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's my pandemic beard. I've kind of been like just letting it do its thing during... Uh, during this whole thing um yeah i have not seen a barber in like shit almost a year and a half now oh fuck man i i go like i i go like every two weeks because i'm just compulsive but I, like I used to as well like it, it, it was yeah, like yeah. religious i would go see a barber all the time and like you know and i love the whole ritual of it because they do like the hot towel shave and uh yeah. you know get the bald fade and everything um yeah and then that shit just covid kind of killed it for a bit and then i've been too paranoid to like do it again so yeah i feel you shout out to get my hair thanks yeah <laughs> um <laughs> shout out to the clippers i bought like six years ago that the battery hasn't died in yet it's been yeah. keep like the, the sides and in back okay but uh, i've been going grizzly adams up top Rock on, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. I mean, I, I work from home now. I don't have to see customers other than on Zoom. And uh, the Zoom virtual backgrounds has been hilarious because since it's so poofy now, <laughs> do with my hair, so it just balds me. <laughs> That's badass. It, it's been kind of funny. It, I've been debating. It's like, maybe I should just, like, shave it off. Oh, shit. I think my landlady decided to start mowing the lawn. Just a sec here. Let me tell her what's up, man. <laughs> hey, Allie. Sorry about that. Just a sec. You're good. So uh, Merlin's out here closing windows, and uh, he has me on for a live chat. There he is. There we go. We are oh. back. 
Yeah, so that that was a fun weekend. So like for for those of you that may not be aware, I originally met Michael um, in 2019 in San Clemente during the Darkroom Labs film Padilla. And uh, they had people from all over the place, um, you know, hoarding down into um, San Clemente. Was it a Super 8 or like a Motel 6 or something? I can't remember. It was like a Holiday Inn, something like yeah. that. Yeah, Holiday something Inn. Like yeah, maybe like Holiday Inn. For film geeks. It was yeah, <laughs> it was fantastic. Like there was, um, they had some great speakers. There was Megan Shoots Film was speaking there. Uh, Grant Britton had a great uh, session. Um, Take, that's where I originally met uh, met him, and we've become like good pals now. Um, so yeah, I met a lot of really great people out of that San Clemente trip, and really uh, miss traveling a lot. Yeah, me too. And like, I know like everyone loves conferences, but I love drinking beer after conferences. That's like my number one hobby in front of going to conferences, because uh, like you just get to hang out with people and talk to them and. Like when I went to last year, I guess, to Experimental Festival, like the night shindigs was probably like the coolest part, right? Because you get to like just be people, right? And we all have like our yeah. thing to do. Like I run the magazine and that's fun, but like really getting to know people over a, a pint, I guess, over there. Well, and that's a great point. So it's like I, I work in the tech industry, and one of the biggest conferences that uh, that used to happen in tech before the end of the world uh, was something called VMworld, which uh, is hosted by VMware, and it's uh, a huge conference that would happen in San Francisco, and you know upwards of like twenty to twenty-five thousand, I think, wow. like almost thirty thousand nerds converge on San Francisco at Moscone. And um, the first year that I managed to make it down there, I was like running all over Moscow and like fucking chicken with its head caught off trying to attend all these sessions. And one of the OG people was like, the fuck are you doing, man? And I'm like, well, I got to go with the sessions. I got to learn stuff. They're like, all that shit's going to be online in like a few days. You don't come here for the sessions. You come here for the people, for this networking opportunity to like, where else are you going to find like so many people that share a common interest with you in one place? Yeah. That, that's what you're here for. Do the networking. <laughs> They're like, forget the sessions. And um, that's something I found applicable in all conferences, not just tech ones where it's like, it's more about the people that you can interact with than it is um, the workshops and things like that. Yeah, and those are nice, but it's the excuse, right? Like, either if it's corporate, they're not going to pay for you to go hang out, right? But exactly. it's uh, educational. Well, I mean, so, like, I, I do technical pre-sales, so there's okay. an aspect of that where I, I do get paid to hang out with people because we want them to give us their money. So it's like, buy them drinks if it helps get money out of them. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. Yeah, so... That feels a little hoary sometimes, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, we all have our days. <laughs> so, I'm I'm curious from from banking to photography. Like, how did you uh, how did you get into photography? Like, what was your genesis story there? Man, I've told the story so like so much, and it, like it gets condensed now. And right. like, dude, like honestly, I was like an 18 year old kid, and I knew this guy named Mike Bot. And like, I kind of grew up in the, I grew up in the aughts, right? So like going to shows and like skinny jeans before they were cool, you know, got a little 
like theme kid in me. And there was this guy who was like shooting shows and stuff. And like, he just got tons of girls, dude. And like, whether or not that's true or not, like he had some like local fame about him. And like, he got to go see bands and like hang out with cool people. And I was like, man, I want to do that. Like, that sounds like a lot of fun, right? And so like, my <laughs> my first like reason why I wanted to start that was mostly because I just thought this guy was super cool, right? And then like, once I started doing it, like I really loved the technical aspect. I sort of started off shooting digital, uh, did shows, did, you know, all the normal stuff, like being a hobby guy. And then I decided that, you know what? Like, I'm pretty good at this, like on the technical side. So I decided to start shooting weddings. And I did that for like two years. I assisted a bunch of weddings with my buddy Franklin, did some of my own and fucking hated it. It was the fucking worst. Like I really hated it. So a couple years into it, I said, you know what? I'm over this. Like I, I did some uh, like photo booth stuff, like at events here in my hometown, which was actually a lot of fun. Like I did New Year's Eve a couple nights for some big venues, like stuff like that. And um one day I was just like, you know what, uh, fuck this. Like, I'm just going to go shoot analog. And that kind of happened because I was a member of the Impossible Project Pioneer program. And I got to test some beta film. And I tested it in this, like, really shitty, half-broken SX-70 that kind of worked. And the film kind of worked at that time. But yeah. uh, I, I just... It still kind of works today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't hate. Don't hate. <laughs> no, I, I don't hate. I love it so much. But it's just like, you know, it's funny seeing the stuff on the forums where the guys are like, in 1970, Polaroid was the tits, and this stuff is bullshit now. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck them for saving it, right? Bunch yeah, exactly. of. <laughs> but uh, so I, I was out with my buddy Con, with my friend Aaliyah and my friend Sabrina, and we like went on a walk, like in this like nature area, and I just fell in love, man. It was like one of the best days ever, and. Uh, oh, all my pretty light turned off, man. I was trying to look all good for you. Um, that's fine. You um, so, uh, yeah, and that was it, man. I sold all my gear within a couple weeks, bought a bunch of film, and that that's kind of my origin story, man. Just kind of like going from like really surface level vain re reasons to like really just diving in and loving it. And um, I don't really know if the motivations matter anymore because it brought me to where I am today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I won't lie, I got into photography for similar problematic reasons in like the early 2000s, because, you know, who knew about that kind of bullshit back then? There wasn't me too back in those days. So, you know, that was some similar motivations to get into a you know, digital path, but I, I didn't get into um, the analog aspect of it until just very recently, so... How recent? Um, shit, like 2000, like, maybe like late 2017, early 2018. It was when I moved to Toronto mm -hmm. and I started um, shooting again after like an almost 10 year hiatus. Um, and digital was cool. And I just fell into like a really terrible rabbit hole of gas in Toronto because hipsters hadn't jacked up the prices too much yet at that point. So there was still tons of cheap, good gear. And um, I just went on this tear of buying all the things that I had always wanted to buy before that I could never afford that all of a sudden it was just like, oh shit, I can buy an F5 for under 300 bucks. Right. Yeah, I'm going to do that. 
And um, yeah, I bought way too many cameras and now I need to sell a bunch. Um, The worst one though, well, the best one, but the worst affliction is Polaroid. Um, That got me hard. (laughs) It's, it's, that's a deep hole to fall down. Yeah, man. Like even like, like I started shooting with that broken SX-70 and then I immediately wanted an SLR 680 because I wanted to feel badass. And I did really bad. But like what most of my stuff I do on is a Sun 660 AF. It's not a... The 660 is super, super underrated. Yeah, man. And like I have like not good vision in one eye. So like the parallax and the lens, when you do landscapes, unless like you like take the camera and like go on the horizon and then pan down, it's hard to get it super symmetrical and even. So... With the box camera, you can just and be done, right? So I got so sick of being like five degrees off in my landscapes, and uh, but yeah, I, I still I still use a Mint six seventy now just because I have control. But yeah, here I, I've got <laughs> this. So I don't. Oh, fuck it. Come on. Get over here. So I don't have a six sixty anymore because I've given away a lot of them and sold a bunch of them at one point i had like a a half dozen of them because i was doing workshops yeah but before i left toronto i sold them all to people that wanted to get going but this one i kept this one because this one's a weird one it's a sun 670 oh oh, i've never i'd never seen one of those before it's just it's silver and it has like a silver sonar disc instead of the gold that's cool, man. I, I just knew that existed when I was looking at Retrospect's website like a week ago. And I was yeah. like, I didn't know was a thing. Like, I, I had no idea. I, I came across it at a, I think, a junk sale or something, or maybe Craigslist. It's kind of, like, busted up. But, like, for something that's, like, unique and a little different, um, I kind of dig it. I'll, I'll hang on to it for a while. But, yeah, I, I love these box cams because, like, the sonar just makes it so easy. You can't not take a bad picture with this camera. Yeah, it's it's easy. It's easy. And it, I, for me, I just leave everything on all the way dark. And that's yeah. it. That's all <laughs> the end, right? And then, but you know, I, ju- I just got this guy. And I've had the gas on this a little bit. But I got the uh, Noir ver- the Noir version of this, the, the all okay. black 670. And it's just, dude, it's just pimp. It's, it's, it's so cool. And it's lighter. I think they replaced this bottom or something with plastic because the other ones are all metal, like the original 670s or SX70s. So no, um, so they're not actually metal though. Everyone thinks they're metal, but they're really? not. They're they're coated plastic. Ah. So like that that's a funny thing because everyone thinks um, they're metal, but you know they're, they're it's significantly lighter than the other ones for sure. And I don't know what did to it, but um, it's definitely lighter than like the S70s I'm used to. Like, that's interesting. They, yeah. maybe they they found a way to like, just sort of trim some weight down. <laughs> or maybe I just got buff. Yeah, it could be that too. Who knows? <laughs> um, I, I haven't made the jump into the six eight six seventy yet, um, but I do have an open SX seventy camera. That's that's. Oh, yeah, I've been asking them for one. And I've been bugging them. I'm like, dude, I'll pay you whatever it takes to get one. Tell me about it. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. Okay. I, I, it was briefly in my hands for like a day. 
and then it had to go back to Texas because FedEx decided to fucking Ace Ventura it. And um, it was it. We had six cameras come back, and uh, only two of them survived out of the six. So the rest of them had to go back to uh, Zane Pollard down in Texas for refurbishment. Um, but yeah, Zane kind of surprised me. He's just, I, I sent a bunch of cameras down to him to get some work done. And uh, he was like, I got a spare uh, sonar board. Um, and I see you do a lot of like studio stuff with strobes. Um, you know, we'd be curious to get your feedback on you know, how this works in, in that kind of environment. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to, like, you know, playing with that. So I've got a, it's, it's a black sonar that um, he did up for me um, with the, uh, with the OpenSX-70. And then he also made me a completely bespoke SLR-680 that's um, Frankenstein from a silver SX-70 sonar. Cool. And then the 680 parts put onto it. Um, and then he also put a split focusing screen from an original SX-70 in there so that when you do manual, you've got that that split level in there. So um, those were the two of mine that got trashed in that shipment, uh, which had to go back. So he was just dropping those off at UPS today. So hopefully UPS is a little more gentle this time around. Um, I can't wait to play with those ones. I know. I, so, like, I've been, I was, like, briefly talking. Who's the other gentleman in Barcelona who's, or in Spain who's doing it? Oh, man, I can't remember. Uh... Me. But uh, I was so dumb. I was at the festival last year for Experimental, and uh, he was, like, trying to track me down. And, like, I wasn't, like, ignoring him, but, like, I was, like, ADD all over the place, like, running around, like, high-fiving people like an animal. And, like, I, he's, like, I want you to try this camera. I'm, like, I want to try it, but I was just... Do you, okay, so here's the thing. When you go to Barcelona, they have, like, the uh, espresso machines. But it's, like, everywhere. Soda for people in Spain. So I was, like, just taking shots like I was in a rap video and of espresso. And I was just running around being crazy, right? So, uh, yeah. anyways, long story short, I didn't get to try it. And now when I came back, I was, like, how cool would it be if, like, they had, like, Air Jordans, but they had, like, SX-70, like, made like artist versions that you could buy that were like endorsed by specific artists and like that'd be so cool man that could be it i mean the, the open sx70 project is a really interesting project all around um it's it's interesting because like from what i understand polaroid is like cool with it as long as they don't sell it um where it's like, you know, if you turn this into a product, we'll, they'll, they'll sue the pants off of them, basically. Yeah. Um, well, that happened with Andres from Polaroid of the Day, which is not no longer called that, right? Like they... With which one, sir? Polaroid of the Day. Uh, uh, Andres from, like, he's in Spain. He ran that website. That's now, like, Instant Photographers. Okay. And uh, that's why he had to change the name. I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to say that. Sorry, everybody. But I know... <laughs> reason why you changed the name i'm not sure if that's common knowledge but i, I know they are uh, i mean they bought i mean in their defense they bought the intellectual property rights to that name and like i get it right from a business sense like i, I work nine to five in uh, corporate america like they, they paid like a jillion dollars for that name so is it cool not really do i get it yeah well and 
I think the latest iteration isn't so much buying the IP, but it's like the um, thanks, Crop. Well, Polaroid originals um, merged together with what was left of Polaroid, which is just basically an intellectual holding property company, yeah. that, and just uh, made one small company because <laughs> they're still <laughs> not very big. Um, it is definitely not like Polaroid of like you know all those angry white guys on the forums day. Yeah. Um, like yeah, when it was like tens of thousands of employees back then, like I, I think there's still like probably under 50 people globally running everything right now, which is wild to think. Like I appreciate their commitment, and um, as janky as the film can be sometimes, I'm still super stoked that I can shoot these uh, cameras that, um, for all intents and purposes, should be relics by now. But yeah. You know, they will continue to take my money from me. <laughs> you know, like my TV is like five years old and it's already like going out. But like this camera from like, I don't know, when was SX-70 made? In the, in the 60s, right? Yeah, so SX-70, did you ever read the, the history of like how SX-70 became a thing? Like, so I've, I've read like the posts that like people have made about it, but like I haven't ever like remembered it, right? I know like Edwin Land like trying to do the impossible, hence the impossible project, right? Well, yeah, so kind of. So SX-70 was, was, was quite interesting because um, a lot of people aren't aware, but Polaroid's biggest success was as a defense contractor during World War II. So that's where they made the bulk of their money, where they had the deep war chest to just do all the nerdy shit that they did going, going forward. Um, and all the projects they worked for for the U.S. government were designated special experiment with a number. So SX and then a designation. Oh, cool. The last project they did for the U.S. military was SX-69. When Dr. Land wanted to launch Integral Film and the new camera and all that, he didn't want any of the competitors to know that he was building a new camera and a new film format. So they codified it SX-70 so that the competitors would just think they were working on another government project and not try and figure out what Polaroid was up to because the land went crazy on it like they ramped up a brand new facility to build the film they ramped up a brand new facility to uh, make the cameras they were machining all the parts to do every like everything was all custom and in-house and um they figured if they they put it as a government project no one would be the wiser and no one was um and it launched in the late early 70s and it, it upended everything. And the, the name SX-70 just stuck as the product name until they went into like the SLRs and things like that. Um, but that's where the, the sonar autofocus um, actually came from um, one of the projects they did for a missile guidance system for the, the U.S. military. So that's where the tech for the sonar autofocus comes from. Is, is I feel cooler now Do you shooting with this camera. Dude, it's, it's such a cool camera, and the, the history of the company is just so fascinating. Like, um, it, it's a travesty that corporate greed tanked Polaroid, because, like, that's the thing that's super sad about it is um, a Ponzi scheme is what really killed Polaroid in the end. Like, Do you want to hear about it? Like, in, like, two minutes or less, like, what happened with that? So... When Dr. Land got ejected from the company, the problem that Dr. Land created was he was so brilliant that he created 
this amazing company with all these amazing people, but he didn't foster an environment where there would be a number two. So he was the number one. And then a s ecosystem of number threes revolved around him that needed Papa Land's permission to do anything. And when he got ejected from the company by the board, there was no one that could step up to take over for him. So some people tried, but they were sort of like, uh, there's like no pop land ask for permission anymore. Now I'm supposed to be the number one. And it just turned into this succession of failures of people trying to run the company that just like tanked it further and further and further until um, investment companies basically were like managing the company at that point. And um, some dude who looked really great on paper, I can't remember his name right now, but he looked really great on paper because he had this like huge real estate business that looked amazing. And the banks were like, you can run this shit. You look like you're, you're a solid dude. But what they didn't realize and what came out later was that his whole empire was basically a Ponzi scheme. And he wanted to get into Polaroid because even though Polaroid was doing shit from a business perspective, they were still very capital rich because they owned all of their properties. They had a ton of real estate holdings. And so he wanted Polaroid for that. And he started yeah. liquidating all of Polaroid's hard assets so that he could steal that money to put into his Ponzi real estate scheme to keep up his appearance of being rich. And the only reason Impossible exists today is because he was getting um, indicted by the Supreme Court for his Ponzi bullshit. And so they paused um, the destruction of the Netherlands factory because of that. And so that gave uh, Florian and those guys that window to find financing to uh, scoop up that factory before it got destroyed. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Polaroid today. I didn't even know it was like that close to when Florian was trying to take over. Like, I didn't know it was that short of a window. Like, I mean, I read it back then, but um, that was, you know, that was, that was a lot. It was right. an extremely short window. Like they basically had the weekend to find financing and put it all together. Um, and that's where the idea came up was Florian was at the farewell party for the plant and asked uh, like the plant manager, what do you think the odds are of, you know, bringing this film back? And that's where he's like, it would be virtually impossible. And that the impossible project name came from that meeting where they had that. Um, but that um, the fact that he was being sued and had to go to court, um, that gave them a, a brief window to like scoop that up. And um, then it was also like another chance happening too. apparently because the Netherlands plant was the finishing plant. They didn't have all of the other parts yep. to make the other chunks of the film. They lucked out and found all the other components they needed in a warehouse in Boston where it was supposed to have been um, destroyed, but someone forgot about it. And it had just been sitting languishing in this like random warehouse for like decades. And Hell, so it was God. a mixture of, of a total fluke chance that we have Polaroid film today because of that brief window where the dude was getting sued and then them lucking out and finding the rest of the equipment they needed to, to build stuff. Um, oh, JPS is their biography of server. So, I learned all of this from several different um, Polaroid books. Um, I'll, I'll send them um, another time. They're, they're all stacked up, but it was like, um, the, the one that had the most information. Let me, let me grab them. Uh, 
Always looking. Hey, Krom, how are you, man? Thanks okay. for So this one had the best information on like Polaroid as a company, Lands Polaroid, which was written by Peter uh, Wensberg. Um, it's been out of print for ages, but sometimes you can luck out and find a used copy of it. But he worked for uh, Land for a really long time and he was part of like the inner circle. And this is where like a lot of the interesting stories of like, you know, Polaroid of, of um, uh, the past, um, where I, I learned a lot of that stuff, like how they put it together, like the SX-70, things like that. This is a really great um, book to just learn about like old school Polaroid. Um, Instant, the story of Polaroid uh, by Christopher Bonanos. This is a really great book too that had a lot of uh, fantastic information on it too, where they got into a bit of like the story of like, you know, um, the, the failure and, um, you know, impossible kind of like taking over and stuff. And then um, Florian's book was also really, really great. Um, Polaroid the Magic Material by Florian Caps um, is a fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, so I'd highly recommend these three if you uh, are really interested in geeking out about Polaroid. And then if you want to experiment with Polaroid stuff, uh, Adam's book, um, Polaroid, The Complete Guide to Experimental Instant Photography. This is, this is a cool book for finding different things to experiment with Polaroid film. And totally has great. a lot of really great information on the different cameras and the different film stocks that have existed for uh, a Polaroid nerd this is a this is a great book to uh, track down so speaking of new books I, I'm sure most people have seen it but uh Polaroid now just came out yeah I saw that on your story congratulations on that oh, thanks man like this book is full of so many awesome people that like we can now call friends. And like, I hadn't even really gone through the whole thing, but um, what's really cool is that um, uh, rest in peace, Penny Feltz is in here. And uh, she was one of the nicest, coolest people to me ever. And I think what's cool about the whole story of Polaroid is that if Doc wouldn't have saved instant film, like nothing that I'm doing for the last eight years of my life would exist. Like Prime Magazine wouldn't exist. I wouldn't have met Crom. I wouldn't have met Penny. I wouldn't have met a lot of people. I wouldn't even be shooting analog film. I wouldn't have started Analog Forever Magazine. Like it's crazy how that, as cliche as it sounds, that butterfly effect has led me to, and us, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. where we are now. And it's, it's just the coolest, man. And, um, Congratulations to all my friends that I can call friends now that are in that book. And it's just super good. Um, there's a, it's really simple. There's just a lot of, uh, man, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> That's all right. But it's just pictures and names. Um, but uh, there's a intro by Oscar, um, current board member. I don't know if he's CEO anymore. And then, of course, there's, um, by Mr. Reuter, he has an essay in here, and he's uh, one of the last guys that still knows how to do that 20 by 24 camera. And, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, the 20 by 24 is wild. Like, um, yeah, I got a picture of my 4 by 5 sitting in front of a 20 by 24 camera 
at the Denton Camera Exchange down in Denton, Texas. Um, and it was just insane how, like, it just dwarfed my, my camera so much. It's so cool, man. I don't even know if they have any stuff left. I think they have a little bit left. I'd have to ask Mr. Reuter on that. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's definitely cool stuff. And, like, I mean, likewise with your story, um, I probably wouldn't have gotten this deep into um, photography had it not been for Polaroid either. Um, mostly because, like, I got wicked inspired by Jason Lee and his 8x10 work, and I really wanted to do 8x10. And then I saw how much 8x10 cost, and I was like, okay, <laughs> this is why Jason Lee does 8x10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be a famous rich, or maybe he's not rich, famous actor to afford shooting eight by ten on a regular basis. Well, and there's like talking with him about it later, though. It's like when he got into it, it was still pretty cheap. So yeah. like he bought out a ton of uh, the stock from Freestyle Camera and I think Sammy's uh, camera too. Um, so like it wasn't that expensive when he got into it, but like by the time I saw the interview where he was talking about it, and I was like, holy shit, that's so cool! I want to do this. It was really expensive, and um, I've got like two thirds of what I need to start shooting eight by ten. Now, I just I'm missing the camera right now. So one day, yeah, one day. I've always thought like, you know, a lot of people dream like, okay, I'm gonna buy a lot. I buy so a little bit about me. I buy a lotto, lotto ticket once a month for two dollars, right? And that's my thrill, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm an old man now. But uh, um, so I, I'm like, man, what would I do if I won? I'm always like, I'm going to shoot eight by 10 Polaroids, right? Like, I'm not going to like save. I probably want to save the world. That's number two. But number one is like, that's what I would do, right? Like, I would travel and do that. And uh, I think other people want to go on like extravagant vacations or buy Lambos. I'm like, man, I just want to shoot eight by 10 instant film. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I buy... Um two lotto tickets a month um and same thing like if i were to win i would be buying a deerdorf 8x10 and a shit ton of 8x10 polaroid um maybe try and find one of those really rare and expensive calumet hand crank uh 8x10 processors because it'd be a little easier to to manage that on the road i did track down like one of the og Polaroid 8x10 processors uh, and a couple of holders um, at a uh, not bend you over price, which was kind of nice because uh, that stuff is so expensive now. Um, but in the interim, I still shoot the 4x5 with pack film and I've got some Type 55 and stuff left. So that sort of like satisfies the large format bug. But um, and I just, I even remember too when I started getting the Polaroid bug and I saw an SX70 for the first time, it became this like object of desire that I was like, I'm never going to have one of these. They're so expensive. They must be so rare. Yeah. And now I've got way too many of them. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always like sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy. Like I never have more than like two cameras at a time. And like I, two years ago, dude, like I was such a drama queen. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with instant film. Like I did an interview with like instant photographers and I was like, I'm done. I'm going to shoot medium format now. That's my thing. I fucking hated it, man. Like I didn't hate it, right? I, you know, I'm just being dramatic, but like I, I thought I was going to be done and I picked up a Mamiya 7 and I used it for a year. And I do, it's sharp. It's awesome. It's great. But 
I just realized I really don't like being in front of the computer that much. And I know that sounds silly, but like we shoot film, but we got to use like the scanner and negative laugh pro. And I do all this stuff because I'm not a darkroom guy. I don't have the capacity. So, uh, you know, I, I spend all day on the computer and I was like, man, I don't want to do this. That's why I got into instant film to begin with. Right. So like, I'm really going back to square one. I just, my medium of capture happens to be analog. And I was like, man, no, it was cool. But now I'm like, once again, I'm like, man, I should have waited like eight months to sell that baby. Yeah, because you can. Yeah. It's yeah. insane how expensive that shit is right now. Yeah, I did. I got one for like 2500 bucks, right? Sold it for about the same. And now they're like four grand. It was like pretty mint. So I made some good money on it, but whatever. It, you know, whatever. So. Well, it's interesting too, like, I, when when you see some of the people that um, try to capitalize on on film shooting, so it's like I, I'm an admin on a Canadian film photography like a share group for like buying and selling, and some dude just posted a couple packs of uh, the Pro 400 H 120, mm -hmm. and like he's asking like not crazy money but like nearly double what they're going for and you can still buy like it's not super scarce yet yeah like Fuji has discontinued it but they're still trickling out shipments of it and you can still buy it from places like i just bought a few packs of it um for like nine bucks a roll um just a couple weeks ago and yeah. they're getting more shipments of it in where i bought it uh for that and so a lot of people um, were like kind of condemning this guy for being like, bro, too soon. Cause like, he's asking like 20 bucks or yeah. It's like, he's asking 18 bucks a roll right now when it's like nine. Um, and he's like, it's scarce. It's like, yeah, the 35 millimeter scarce because like they shut that shit down like a while back, but like 120, they're still shipping out boxes of it. Um, so it's just interesting seeing people capitalizing on that because it's like, oh, film's hot right now and people, um, you know, will pay money for it because it's, it's rare and it's like, it's not yet. Yeah. Like, well, do like when FP100C, <clears throat> a announced it was like over with, like I waited like 90 days and I sold it like for what I paid for it. Like I was like, dude, like I'm not going to be that guy that hoards like time zero. You know, like, I'm not going to use it. I, I sold my uh, my land cameras, and it wasn't really my thing anymore. Because when I picked up a land camera, I originally liked expired 669 because it was blue, and I like blue, and, like, all my work that I do is pretty blue, right? And uh, that's just my jam. So FP100C just wasn't. It was just normal film, and it was cool, but I sold it. And for that cost, and, like, a lot of people were super stoked. And, like, I don't yeah. know. Carmen, I, I just don't look at that to people. And see, like, I appreciate that kind of approach to it because, like, I I cringe when I see the prices that FP100C are going for right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I really hate capitalism. <laughs> it's just, there's, there's a supply and demand thing, and, like, you know, there's very little supply, and um, a lot of and because there's all these people that are seeing these cool YouTube videos or yeah. whatever, or people that use it as their creative process and like haven't moved on to something else. And um, it just kind of kills me to see when people are just like, oh yeah, I'll sell it for like 130 pack. And it's just like, ugh. 
I mean, I tapped out the last fresh pack that I bought, I think was like 60, 60 bucks. And then I was like, this is too much. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to do it at 60, 60 a pack. Um, and I just, <clears throat> yeah, to some people it is like, I don't shame people, but I, I just think maybe like I'm like the most like corporate hippie in the world. You know what I mean? Like after five o'clock, but like, if it's just sitting here, like, do I, like, do I need to make a quick buck? Like, really? Like, is that, I don't know. I, 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 I that's a personal choice for everybody. But I will say if like Polaroid ever shuts down, I'm maxing out like all my credit cards. We're just going to, I'm just going to buy like a thousand packs of film. And like, that's what like, like, you know, Mikel Kennedy, he did a uh, passport to Trispass, those zines. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So he's like my idol, right? Like, and like I fanboy over him. I got to interview him twice in the last five years for different stuff I've done, which is super cool. But like, I know like when that was going out of style, that's what he did. And I'm like, man, like, good move. <laughs> that was such a good move. And yeah. uh, like, this is when Time Zero was was going out, and same thing for uh, Polaroid. And but yeah, and are we going to live till seven? Is that the plan? Um, yeah, I usually do it for like a, like an hour or so or like whenever, uh, cool. whenever we get bored of the conversation. Um, I kind of keep it pretty organic with, with the chats. Cool. Um, yeah, I thought about it because I've got a small stash of FP100 and I thought about selling it because I was like, if I wanted to be a dick, I could make a bunch of money off of it. But then I wouldn't buy it back because like I couldn't in good conscience, spend that much money on yeah. FP100. So I'm just, I'm going to hang on to it and shoot it. But Time Zero, like, oh man, that's one film that bums me out that I didn't get into um, analog shooting earlier. Yeah. Because, like, I was alive when it was still selling. I could have been shooting it this whole fucking time, but, like, I missed out on it. And, uh, like, Raymond Molinar, I don't know <laughs> if uh, if you saw his time zero book but absolutely gorgeous like um the the photos that that he had in there are just stunning and like he got addicted to the the medium and uh was hunting for time zero whenever he was like traveling and stuff and uh so there's like some interesting stories of like you know, how he tracked down the time zero that he used for most of the book and uh yeah like that's something that's fascinating with like the instant film stuff yeah i Wish like so like my son's mom's grandparents found a pack of Time Zero like this is like six seven eight nine months ago and she mailed it to me and yeah. I was, this is my chance I've never got to do this I'm so stoked fucking dead and dry and it was like the, the saddest day of my life man so uh, it, it sucked man thanks Phyllis if you're if you're watching you're the best. Uh, well, I hope you could find a decent pack sometime because it is a magical, magical emulsion. Like I, I found two packs in Toronto um, last year, and I shot one of them, and um, it was so good. Like it was just, it was so, so good. It's, I, it's, I'm still have one pack left that I'm saving for, I don't know, something special. When is the save it till when it's dead time? Like when? How long do you think it's gonna last? I don't know. It's in the fridge, so hopefully it'll last a bit. But yeah. I need to shoot it soon. Like, is it like two thousand six, seven, eight, nine pack or? 
I think it was a 2006 pack. Cool. So. Is that the last year? I forget, but I know like 06 is like one of the latest packs you can get. It might have been the last year. So it's like Time Zero is like another interesting one too because um, the reason Time Zero no longer exists was because of uh, Hurricane. What? Um, the main compounds for it came from a uh, chemist that was in an area that was affected by a hurricane. It like it wiped out their chemical factory and uh, they were like old and decided to retire instead of rebuilding. So that's why Time Zero went away because they were the only ones that made that compound that made Time Zero special. And so um, it just disappeared. So what I've always thought is like, I, let me check this out. I got, I got this thing which I'm going to try uh, this weekend. But I got a, this guy on Etsy, and he's on Facebook and other places, but he makes these uh, little filter holders that are 37 millimeter or 32, oh, cool. or whatever it is. So what is it? Yeah, the 37, so it just goes like right on. Right, and this is leading somewhere, but it, it goes right on, right? And I... Uh, 37 millimeter 10 stop ND filter. Whoa. I'm going to try uh, and I got one of the original, uh, what do you call it? Oh, the shutter release. So you're going to try doing bulb mode with it then and do some like long, long exposures? Yeah, man. I'm, gonna, I'm going up on Saturday, this Saturday to a local area in the Sierra National Forest near my place. It's called Shaver Lake. I like tons of my fog water photos on my Instagram are from that area. And, um, and like, I refuse to go anywhere if there's no clouds. Cause like I'm a moody jerk. Yeah. So, uh, I do like, like, I don't know if you experienced that. I know we're attentioning, but like, so I was like, Hey man, you want to go to the beach? It's going to be sunny today. I was like, I don't want to go up with sunny. That's pointless. I can't take pictures. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that sounds so boring and stupid. What do you want me to do? Like relax on the beach? That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just bake in the sun. Yeah, um, man. I'm not usually a beach guy, but with the heat dome that we had recently here in Western Canada, when it was like insanely fucking hot, um, I did find myself going to the water more than I have in probably the last 10 years, because it's just, it was too hot. Yeah. So you're in Toronto, do you, I, like, I know not everyone like listens to the same music, but like, do you like Dallas Green? Do you listen to I, I do like Dallas Green, um, but I'm no longer in Toronto. So I was originally in Toronto, but oh, okay. I recently uh, moved to Vancouver in May. So gotcha. I'm uh, I'm on the West Coast now again. For like 150 bucks, man. And I, I saw him like in 2014 in Oakland. And like, I've never been starstruck before, but uh, there's just something about his presence, man. It's like the most humbling, beautiful, angelic voice in like this like, the guy, is this, he's just a guy, but he's just so great. And I think that's why I was like, he doesn't have that rock star attitude about him, but that's why I think he is so cool, you know? Dallas Green is fantastic. I, I haven't had a chance to see him live, but I do enjoy his music. Um, but I did have a similar experience uh, to, to what you were describing when I saw John K. Sampson, um, who is a musician from Winnipeg uh, that was part of the... He was in propaganda for a little bit and then he was uh, founded the weaker thans and um i was like a huge emo kid in the 2000s and so i really love like the weaker thans and like yeah. 
professional and like all that kind of shit. Um, and I saw him live for the first time at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto, which was famous for like the tragically hip and stuff. And uh, he made me cry. Like it was oh. just, it was it just like so because he was he was singing all of his old songs, but it was just like it was him solo with just the guitar, and it was just very moody and emotional. And uh, yeah, I love those kind of shows and those kinds of musicians. Yeah, dude, me too. Like I we have a. I have like an amphitheater in a local park kind of near my house. And a uh, few years ago, like Taking Back Sunday and Dashboard did like a can't book large venues tour, right? Like, cause you know, they're not, they're not, it's not the odds anymore, right? Yeah. But you know, it was like the best, like there's probably, you know, I live in a town of like a million and a half people probably. And there's probably a couple thousand people there that, you know, it was, it was just fun, man. Like, and I had my instant film camera and, you know, I bring most of where I go unless I'm going to get, have too much fun and then I leave it at home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But um, back to what I was saying about, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was saying, why I talked about Dallas Green. I haven't thought about Dashboard Confessional. In, in a, you were talking about Toronto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's I, I miss Toronto. Like it had a fantastic um, live music scene pre-COVID. Hopefully, it comes back. Um, that was one of the things I missed. Like when COVID really wrapped its grips around everything, was just losing all of those public events and and things that we really took for granted. Yeah, man. Like I'm, I have tickets to go see. Uh... Like, like, I'm such a scene kid. I'm not even embarrassed. Like, I love Dance, Gavin Dance so much. And uh, I have tickets to see them in October. But, I'm sorry, September. But I don't think that they're going to go. Because, um, hmm. like, oh, I, I just think things are going to shut down again. I really do. Like, the Delta variant and the Lambert variant. And, like, I, I'm not yeah. really pretty cynical dudes, like, in general. Like, I'm not really those. Like, oh, it's going to be okay. Like, I may say that to people, but I'm like, dude, it's just fucked. Like. You know, like, and I, I don't want to be that guy, like, in public or, like, not even really <laughs> family, like, but, like, I, I, I we're, we're going to live with this for a long time, and I don't think it's going to go away. It's going to become, like, the flu, and we're going to get immune to it or have some resistance to it or whatever. I'm not a scientist. I barely know what I'm talking about, but I, I don't think it's over. So no, I'm it's, it's, it's far from over. Like <clears throat> we're gonna have COVID season instead of flu season. Except the only joy of COVID season is that it's all year round, um, which you know, not so much fun on, on that front. But yeah, like it's it's changed everything. And the thing that I am more freaked out about than like the virus itself is the financial repercussions that we're yet to see from the lockdowns and the shutdowns and like the, the economic burr goes burr. Yeah. Like it's, it's burr. yeah, man. That, that's going to be where shit gets really interesting is like in the next coming years post COVID. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think really that is that we've been kicking the can down the road printing money for like forever so i know we've printed more in the last year than we have in whatever the math is 20 years but every everyone else is doing it so we're inflating as much as everyone else so i, yeah. I don't know 
I'm not too worried about it. We're all in the same ship. And if it goes down, we're all screwed. So I don't think anyone's going to come out. And uh, we don't want to really steer the conversation to, to Doomerville. But uh, no, it's just, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Because I think it's yeah. really, I think it shifted a lot of priorities for people. It's definitely shifted a lot of priorities for me of like what was important and what I want to focus on. Um, and most of it is just like, I'd like to focus more on connecting with people in the community and creating things to leave behind um, that are more tangible. It's sort of like the the takeaway that I've, I've been left with from COVID is that like that was what I missed the most was like the community and tangible things. Yeah, man, I, I agree. I agree. And like, I'm kind of, uh, a, I guess I'm kind of a hermit or a loner for the most part. Like I spend a lot of my time alone. And maybe a lot of this out of necessity, like, uh, I, how, how old are you? I, I, do you care if I ask? 40. <clears throat> okay. Like, I'm 33, and, like, I, I feel like, well, I have a 12-year-old, too, right? And, yeah. like, I'm a weekday dad just because of logistics. My son's mom is with my kid, uh, our child, like, Friday to Sunday. So, like, during those three days, like, I'm either working on the magazine or, like, I'm in the woods, right? Like, I, I don't a lot of time with people anymore and like i actually did that for the first time like six weeks ago like outside my job like my buddy like came to my house and like dragged my ass out and was like dude you gotta like not be weird and like talk to people so yeah. uh, so i did dude i had a blast i had such a blast and uh i just kind of forgot like i think if you don't do it and you kind of lose that skill or that desire to do it like you not that you come numb to it it's just like you forget that it feels so fucking good just to be like, like if this conversation was in person, like over a bench table, like in a patio of a beer garden, it'd be like so much cooler, right? Yeah. And forget that. Like, cause everything's via screens and like, even with your job and sure my job, like I know for sure, like even my meetings and implementation meetings were all via Zoom. Like, I don't get to go out and like, like, hey, let me help you with this. And like, there's some, I don't know, we're wired for it, man. And I think those wires get crossed when you don't do it for so long. And it's weird to like, come out of it. But we're, we're social creatures. And yeah. our, like having that disconnect over the past like year and a bit. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely feel that. Um, it's good that your friend got you out. I love you, Con. You're, my, you're the man. So <laughs> I mean, Con's the one who's the reason why I started the magazines. Well, and so I was, I was going to ask you about this. So how did you get analog? Like what, what got analog forever started? Like what? Yeah. Uh, um, so after that question, I have to answer a different question. And that's, uh, I started this uh, instant film zine called Prime. Okay. Uh, this is like in 2014. And like, I had a lot of help along the way. But you know, I basically designed the wrote, edited, printed, shipped all by myself, right. And it was freaking cool. Like, like, was the quality good? Not really. Like, it was great. I was the only one doing it. But I got started at that because I was complaining to Khan, like, in 2014, like, eight years ago. And I was like, dude, like, I can't get anyone to publish my instant film photos. Like, no one takes me seriously. Like, I'm an instant film guy. And he's basically said, well, why don't you just do it yourself and, like, stop complaining? That, that's his advice to me about everything. Like, just stop complaining and do it yourself. So I did. And uh, I did that. And then, thanks, Crumb. And then I, I that's how I met everybody that I know. So, like, I met Penny Phelps, Crom, Bastion, uh, Thomas Zamala, like, all these guys that were, like, my inspiration during the Polonoid days when I was just starting out. 
and they allowed me to publish their work and had a lot of trust. So fast forward, I have a habit of like diving too deep and burning out like really fast. Like it's a three year cycle for me. Usually like I'll do something I can prolong the burnout. And then one day I'm just like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. So, um, I stopped, I did that. Like I literally just said, you know what guys, I'm over it. I'm done. Right. So, um, I took a break for about a year and a half and then I was like, you know what, maybe I want to publish books. Right. I did three books. Um, did like a gallery opening, did that for a while and then kind of just faded. I said, you know, I don't want to do that either. I, I liked doing like a periodical. Right. So I took about a year and a half break ish. It's kind of fuzzy timeline, but that's okay. And then I was sitting once again in the same place where my buddy Khan said, do it yourself. And I said, he said, dude, you look really bored. Like I know like when you're not stressed out or stimulated or overwhelmed, like you're just not having that much fun. So I said, you're right. I should just do that again, right? So I text Michael Kirchhoff, who I previously featured on Prime. And he's previously the one of the editors for Blur Magazine. He does uh, photo reviews for Photo Claudia, et cetera, right? So I texted him. I was like, hey, dude, you want to start a magazine? Like, I, had, I was a few beers deep. Dude. Like, I didn't think he was going to respond or say yes. And he's like, yeah, dude, let's do it. I was like, fuck, now we got to do this thing, right? He didn't even think I was going to say yes. So we kind of like, shoot ourselves into this thing. And that's the story, man. Like, I, and like, I say that to a lot of people, like, we're just dudes. Like, we're not, I mean, we, we've experienced curating, we've experienced writing, we, I mean, we, we've done it, but we, we all start from scratch, like everyone. So, yeah. I mean, even eight years ago, I didn't even shoot an instant film camera or an analog camera. And now I'm like, I guess attempting to become, if not already one of the, the, the people that say what's good and what's not. And I, I and that's weird to me because like my opinion is no better than anyone else's, you know, but we're just doing this thing and we love it. And I think that's really why people listen. It's because we're not doing it for any other reason. So that's cool. I like that kind of story. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we just, oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, that's no problem. We just released, uh, edition four with Chris McCaw on the cover. And, uh, I'm really stoked about this one, man. Um, I think design-wise, it's one of the best ones we've done. And uh, the words, we're, like, we're getting better at writing. We're getting, like, we're getting really good at this stuff, right? And I think the coolest thing ever is like, like, and I'm like, there's a little bit of ego with everything we do, regardless of we believe it or not, right? We don't do everything benevolently. We're not amazing, selfless creatures, right? But what feels really good is someone just picked up edition three that came out six months ago in like Singapore. And they messaged me today and he was like, dude, like the magazine's great, blah, 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 blah. But he's like, dude, like your intro letter, like was really inspiring. And I'm like, dude, my English teacher does not fucking believe you at all. <laughs> like, you know, I was, you know, a ditching class and not paying attention, and, but it's just kind of cool that you can actually do things that you didn't think you could do when you're passionate about why you're doing it you know, and maybe like then that ties into how we teach kids in general, right? Maybe if I actually had an interest in any of that, you know, maybe I would have gone farther, but uh, I ended up there. So it's just pretty cool, man. That's wild. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm like an open book too. Like I don't have any like weird taboo things like I'm not willing to talk about either. 
so like any questions you have i'm pretty open even if it is like embarrassing <laughs> so what's been um the the oddest thing that, that you've shot so far or like oddest experience shooting something um I, I don't know what, why the story comes to mind, but like it was in my digital days. My friend Chris Keller like texts or calls me like the day before and he's like, dude, we're going to be in a Chiodos music video. You just have to show up at this place like at 4 a.m. in like downtown crazy Los Angeles. I'm like 18. Like I've never been to L.A. Like I've never taken the bus. Like so I did it and I did it. And I like walked around with my camera and like come to find out like, really stupid place for me to be at three in the morning. I could have got robbed or mugged or whatever. And, but at the time, like I felt safe. And I think that's why it was so cool. Like I, I didn't know. So like, I didn't have any fear of it. And I think that's, what's kind of cool about like the rest of the work that I do in general. Like, like if you don't really know what's supposed to be good, everything you do is good to yourself. And that's like why you should be doing it anyways. Like you're your own harshest critic. So like, if you love it, fucking cool so like that's kind of like something that's kind of stuck with me a little bit through the time and i was in like a chiotis music video which is really crazy like craig owens is walking around with a bottle of like patron in like a gucci bag acting like a queen that was pretty cool <laughs> that sounds hilarious that's a yeah great but uh yeah that's really the oddest thing and i think beyond that i don't really do i'm a pretty like square dude in general i mean Maybe other people from my youth don't agree with me, but I'm pretty square now. And, uh, like, I just like shooting landscapes. It's calming to me, man. Like, I go out alone and turn my phone off and just relax. And it's, like, the most anti-opposite thing from the rest of my life. And it just – it's nice, man. I, I, know, I know that doesn't sound like any, like, crazy artistic thing, but I, I just – like, I think it's okay for people to say, I just like taking photos and I'm a photographer and like, I don't have to have a project. I don't have to have a theme. I, I can just go do this and enjoy it. And maybe other people will dig it and that's cool. But if not, that, that's okay too. Like, I think people focus too much on, on likes and smash that button. And I mean, and there's, I, I get it, but like, there's so many, there's only so many pictures of like, half naked women on expired film that I could see before I throw up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, a, a friend. He coined it dude. Perfect. Yeah, dude. And uh, there's, there's too much dude. Perfect photography out there, which I am glad that, uh, you know, Danielle and crispy and um, their, their other cohort started the um, film sorority and are working on amplifying uh, more um, female photographers. What is that? Can you tell me more about that? Uh, you haven't uh, come across that? Okay. Um, so uh, Danielle, girl with too many cameras. Um, yeah, okay. He started this hashtag, uh, Women with Film Wednesday. And uh, it was to amplify uh, female photographers because there's just a large swath of photographers out there all posting the same nude image of women, which gets very boring and not very fun. Or it's just a ton of uh, gas stations on Cinestill, which <laughs> is also not. Well, being <laughs> a white guy from suburbia, like I definitely love the the the, the Cinestill like 
gas station thing, dude. Like, I think it's, like, encoded in our DNA for whatever stupid reason. But, like, I'll see, like, an abandoned shot on Sinistil or, like, like you know, the thousandth person that went to Hong Kong or Tokyo and, like, brought their uh, T2 with some Sinistil. And I'm, yeah. I, every time I'm just like, that's sick. I can't help it. Like, that neon on Sinistil is pretty cool. Like, yeah. I... I won't, I won't deny that. Um, but yeah, she started the hashtag women with film Wednesdays to amplify other female photographers. And uh, then she collaborated with a couple of other um, really great female photographers. Um, and they started the film sorority. Um, the film sorority. Yeah. The, the film sorority and it's um, curated by um, Danielle girl, with too many cameras, uh, <laughs> crispy photo and uh by onomi um and the three of them um focus mainly on amplifying uh female photographers and um i think it's, it's hugely important because um there's so many talented um photographers out there that don't have penises that <laughs> um really should be yeah amplified that that are shooting things that are like really interesting and have views that, that are more interesting. And I also think with like a lot of the me too stuff that, that has uh, come to light in recent years, um, I think it's more important for, um, you know, female photographers to be more amplified to do those types of um, shoots where there's less of like a male gaze kind of thing. And it can actually be, more artistic instead of like this is artsy because tits and an ass right that's it's, crazy you know. so i know chris right i didn't realize i was the same chris i was on analog talk two two years ago and um and i already followed danielle i just didn't know so like what's hard for me is like dude we get like hundreds of emails a week so like it's just o overload right so like i i don't really even spend any more time on instagram but i need to yeah so, and we're actually looking for uh, stuff like what you just shared. So that's amazing. Thank you. Um, well, you know, what's cool for us is uh, we have, we, you know, we're a team of like four dudes and three gals, two gals, one kind of part-time gal. And what's weird is we actually find are the women on our team are actually writing more about, this is like general, not always true, but write about men we've kind of tended to write more about women. I don't know why that is, but like how we go through work too is like, we don't look at like, or I don't write because I'm filtering most of the submissions. I don't look at name, location. Like I look at the images first before I look at any other information. And like, I realize there's some like biases about how I see the world to begin with that affect what I choose to begin with. So like, I'm not ignorant to that, but um, I do always have a second pair of eyes, but um, we, we generally, pick work based on work and then if we do ever have like need to go back and forth about what we want to feature we, we really say well ha have we done this before and if not if there's someone that deserves recognition because they're other underrepresented or not and that's always secondary on our system we may get in trouble for saying that i don't know what's politically correct anymore but um our goal really is to love the work that we're writing about because we spend hours and hours and hours interviewing and writing articles on people. And if you're not into it, your article's gonna suck, you know? Yeah. Really. But I think what's cool is that I had to, I uh, spent some time with Marky Kaufman and I interviewed her about her work. 
And she really opened my eyes to some stuff and like got me out of my like suburbia box. And that was like a really cool experience because it wasn't that I didn't agree, I just didn't know. Like, cool. you know, and that was really cool. And like, I think that's one article that if you guys pick up edition four that I'm really proud of. And I spent like like 10 hours like doing that. And um, um, yeah, I, so yeah, that's kind of a long way ramble, but yeah. Very cool. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, man. Uh, so what's your favorite book or zine or magazine that you do, that you read, man? Like what, what's out there that I don't know about? Um, well, so the, the favorite book that I've been part of the last little bit um, is through my friend's group, Becca. She created something called the Northern Film Collective. Um, which is uh, an Instagram group to um, highlight Canadian film photographers because there's all sorts of groups to highlight American film photographers, digital photographers, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there wasn't really anything that was like Canada specific. So she started this up and was running it by herself. And um, I joined to help her curate it last year and, we also brought in a couple other people to help curate it too. But one of the ideas that she wanted to do with the the group and why she wanted help with curation was that she could take some time to put together like an annual. And cool. so she had this idea to uh, once a year put out a book of Canadian film photography and highlight mm -hmm. all sorts of different Canadian film photographers in this like yearly annual. Um, so we called it, you know, NFC Volume 1, Northern Film Collective. And uh, we launched that um, late last year and did a pre-order just to see, like, what kind of interest there was on it. And then um, based the ordering off of the pre-order, and we did a run of 150 books and ended out selling up, selling out um, a lot quicker than we expected. Um, like we probably could have done like a 250 run and still had sold out on it probably. Um, but it was really cool because being part of that project, um, was, was neat. And it's my favorite book right now because there's all these people in it that, you know, this is for many of them, the very first time they've ever been published in something. It's not and it, yeah, it was just, it was very cool just to see like all these people's work and um, seeing familiar things in Canada from a different perspective. Cause like I've, I've had the privilege to be able to travel uh, a few times across Canada and see different parts of, of Canada. Um, so that, that's my favorite, uh, favorite one right now. Um, Are there any left anywhere? No, so it's it's sold out completely. Um, but we are going to be starting submissions soon for volume two. Um, so that'll probably be opening up um, late August, early September. And then uh, she'll probably leave the submissions open for a couple of months just to get people to submit photos in. And then um, over the, the winter, she'll put together the, the book again. And uh, we'll do another like spring launch of that volume. Um, but we're thinking of doing, because that one is like just a really big project. Um, we're thinking of putting together 
um, a couple of um, more like maybe themed zines where we can we can pull people in on those ones. Um, so th those will be interesting. And then I'm working on a couple of like books myself. Um, one's done. I just need to do the pre-order for it. I've just been slacking between moving and in life and all that. Dude, uh, like October and do like super duper Black Friday, like a month ahead of time, <laughs> and then yeah, like, you're like a good up, man. Yeah, maybe like it's it's done. Um, oh, okay. I yeah, like it's it's ready. Um, I just need to like put the pre-order out on it. It's all Polaroids. It's it's um. Actually, here's the. Called it Quarantinaroids. All right. Um, the first 53 days of Polaroid during lockdown, or the first 53s of, uh, sorry, 53 days of Polaroid during lockdown. And um, yeah, when we first went into the state of emergency in Toronto, we had a stay at home order that was supposed to last uh, two weeks. It ended up lasting over three months. And uh, since it was only supposed to last two weeks, I was like, I'll just take a Polaroid a day. That's right. no biggie. And then it pushed into months, and I was like, this project's going to bankrupt me. <laughs> Keep up no, this. Financial recover from this. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, I'm going to end it at 53 days. And uh, yeah, I put together, um, it's like a, a five by seven cool. book. Um, and it's, uh, what is it, 100 and hundred and some pictures in it and it's all different form like it's mostly integral film shot with a one step plus um because i was stuck at home by myself and needed the remote to take a bunch of pictures um but then i did some experiments where like i put integral film in the four by five and played with that shot some pack film um some slr 680 um, some with the impossible I one, which is an absolute piece of shit. Um, like, but it's actually, so it's the <laughs> camera that I've used, but it's actually kind of interesting when you've kind of learned to work around how shitty it is. Mm -hmm. You can do some right. kind of stuff with it. Um, the one step plus though, I feel that's a hugely underrated camera and it deserves a lot more respect than it, it receives. Um, it's actually a pretty cool camera. Yeah, I. There's just something about like the aesthetics of like using an old camera that like just screams like cool to me, and I, I think that camera just doesn't look cool. You know what I mean? Like I think technically it's awesome. Like I think it yeah. does pretty well, right? But it doesn't scream like I don't know. It's missing. It's kind of grown on me a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the go? Um, I, th I think that is an answer to the question. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that it's a good consumer product to keep the film eye level eyes. That's fair. I, I think it's a good business move. I think it makes sense. I think it's cheaper. I think people don't care about the size. They want... Remember those iZone cameras that were like little yeah. things? It's that for this generation. And that's... So the iZones were interesting because um, 
they were a loss leader. So Polaroid lost money making them because they had to be handmade. Since they were so small, they couldn't machine them. So they were handmade in Mexico. And that's why iZone eventually got killed was they were not making any money on iZone. It was costing them money. Gotcha. Even with Mexican labor, they couldn't make it cheap enough. That's crazy. That means it, it was never going to work then. But yeah, I think that's what it is, man. I think it's, it's cool. But um, I think what I'm really excited about is, or what I would be excited about is, if they can make duochrome film, why can't they make, like, I would pay big money to get, like, screwed up time zero film in a new way. Like, if they could somehow make the chemical spread and the, that would make those flames for me, I would pay for that. And well, then my good so here here's the problem like this is why impossible had to start from scratch and why it's a um polaroid compatible film and it's not polaroid film so dr land was a very secretive man so it's like yeah how sx70 got had that like you know moniker around it whereas military project um with all of the recipes for the different formulas and stuff, the compounds aren't actually listed. They're just in code names. Uh And the only people that knew what the code names were, were the chemical plants that were making those chemicals. And now most of them no longer exist or have any records of those things. And so even though Polaroid now has all the intellectual property that has all that stuff, all the recipes are in code. They don't know what the actual compounds are to make them, which is why they had to go back to the drawing board and build new uh, chemical processes because they didn't know what the original recipes were. And also the chemicals that were available at the time of those different products Mm -hmm. um, are illegal now in most cases or not created. Well, that's what just happened with Fuji, right? Like, Like a week ago. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's why they kill the Velvia. Shouldn't they just make an exception for that film? Am I stupid? Like, wouldn't it, like, does it have uh, to be a blanket wide ruling? I mean, well, it's just Fuji killing things because Fuji likes to kill things. Um, <laughs> Except in that. The, the, yeah, like, Fuji has the weirdest business model ever where it's like, oh, this is popular and people like it. Cool, let's stop making it. <laughs> Dude, like, all right, dude, like, I've been, like, you know, we're, we always try and get, like, uh, we, we need sponsors to do what we do, right? Like, we're not shocked about that. We get, like, we have six sponsors a year. I've tried to get out in front of so many big companies, and, like, I, I get it, dude. Like, I'm a small fish. Like, I get it. But, like, what I don't understand is, like, even with Polaroid, like, they, like, shut down the magazine last year or two years ago. And it was on my magazine. Like it cost you nothing to do this, and I don't. I don't understand. And I even asked them. I emailed them like a year ago or a year and a half ago. I was like, "Dude, like I will do this for you. Like you'll you'll have to pay me, but like I have the know how. I already know all the people doing it. Like it's it'd be easy. Like I don't understand why they're not more community focused. And I get they want to be a consumer product company, but they don't." You know, they're not an artist company anymore. They're really not. No, but I have to, like, tip my hat to Lomography for that, because Lomography does some good community outreach. 
Oh, yeah, they're great. And Brigitte in their, I think she's in the Brooklyn office. Yeah. She is the coolest. She helps me all the time. They're not one of our sponsors, but like we work together on things occasionally. And we did like a top 20 Lamography uh, post that I curated like, I don't know, six, seven months ago. And then like, of course, like the Cinecell thing, I'm like, I'm just going to do all turquoise and all purple because it's so cool. But um, uh, not really, but a lot of it was. But anyways, yeah, they, they're great at that. And they've really, well, that's how they started too, right? Like the Lamography Association from 50 years ago. And uh, that that's their roots. I'm like Polaroid, which is more corporate. So um, more corporate, but like Polaroid and, you know, Shout out to Brigitte because she's awesome. I yeah. absolutely adore her. Um, Polaroid did lots of really cool stuff back in their day, though. Like, they had one of the largest private art collections um, of, like, artists from all over the world at one point. Because one of the things that Polaroid did back in the day is they would have artists either on staff or artists that they sponsored with materials to create art. Uh-huh. And like Andy Warhol was one of them. Ansel Adams was one of them. There's like, you know, thousands of artists that were either supported or employed by Polaroid in some way to create art with that medium. And part of the requirement with, with it was they would give art to Polaroid to keep in this um, collection. And the reason why most of them agreed to, to that, um, that, that agreement was Polaroid swore they would never sell or break up the art collection. Like it was just to have like this historical record of the progress of this medium and the things people were collecting. And that unfortunately was one of the victims of the liquidation of assets was um, banks got in there and they're like, this is worth a lot of fucking money. We don't care about people who are long gone and the promises that they made. Um, So they broke it up into geographic collections. So there was the American collection and the European collection and like all the, they sold it off in in the different collections. But back in the day, Polaroid did used to be very community focused. And uh, that's so cool, man. Like, I don't understand why they wouldn't do that now. And like, well, so it's like Polaroid back then could do it because they had a huge, war chest and they could afford to do that kind of stuff like the the projects that old polaroid used to do were crazy like in the uh the wensberg book he talks about this grad student that um edwin hired and sent her out to like uh i think it was like in new mexico or arizona to like this small town and she was supposed to run this project where for an entire year every single resident of that town was given a Polaroid camera and as much Polaroid film that they could use. And she was like there to distribute and dole it out and collect the photos. But the idea was if they made Polaroid just part of everyday life, what would happen from that? Like, you know, would people create more? What kind of things would they document? Where are all this now? Well, who knows? Um, but she was like, it was a total waste of money and it went nowhere. But like, that was what Polaroid did back then was like, this is interesting. I want to see where this goes. Send someone out there, give them resources because we have the money to do that. Um, the guy that was tasked with creating the color pack film, um, he didn't actually start doing anything in the lab until two years after he was tasked with it because had he gone straight in the lab and started working on it, 
Dr. Land would have ripped his head off because that wasn't what he paid people to do. He paid people to be the ultimate experts in whatever he's tasking them to do. So before they even start working on the task, he wanted them to go and research everything revolving that task to have a deep understanding of what they were about to um, embark on before they started doing it. So this dude spent like over two years researching different color palettes and what happens when he mixes all these different colors before he went into the lab and started working on formulas for color film. And that was the kind of company they were where they had that sort of um, runway to just be like, yeah, this guy's going to make color film sometime. Who knows? He's working on it. We don't want to rush him. That's the process. And uh, the problem with Polaroid today is um, they don't have that war chest that all of that war money gave Polaroid of, of old. So they don't have the runway to do these things. You know, it's they're they're a very small company. Like the the head office that runs everything is probably like a, a few dozen people. Yeah, that are running everything globally. I've talked to like I'm not hating on anybody. Like yeah. they supported me. They supported like a lot of my friends. Like I just think the culture has changed over the last five years, right? Well, it, it definitely has because they've had to adapt. Yeah. And, like you know, there, there's the you know importance of being profitable so they can continue to to do that kind of stuff which is like you know why um you know i'm sorry to say this out there but that's why spectra needed to die is that wasn't really something profitable there was like Uh, seven people shooting spectra and they really loved it (laughs) all seven of them man like i i had a ton of spectra When I was leaving Toronto, I boxed it up and just mailed it to a friend because I was like, every time I use this film, it fucking infuriates me and it jams my camera and this film, like I'm just done with it. Yeah. And I had a, yeah. And those specters look like I'm in like the 1990s movie Hackers. It's like, I feel like, like all the buttons on the back and shit. Yeah. You need to hack the Gibson to take a picture. Yeah, man. <laughs> but anyway, I gotta drop my son off to uh, to my co-parent. <laughs> but um, I'm of actually... course, just Paul had one question before yeah. you drop off here. Ten minutes. It's, um, where is it? Paul said, "Do you feel um, a photographer is a photographer regardless of medium, film, or digital?" And thoughts on Instax wide. I'll take the first one. You take the second one. Sure thing. Cool, man. Uh, I say, yeah, totally. I think, you know, if you didn't catch the beginning of our conversation, I was talking about how you don't have to produce art to be a photographer. And I think there, that's the important difference. Like not all photos are art and not all art is photography. And I think as long as you keep that in mind, like you're good. I don't think, I think we do enough of segregating ourselves from other people based on like ridiculous classifications of, whatever ethnicity gender whatever right that like maybe we shouldn't do that with digital and analog like i know a bunch of digital guys that shoot great shit is it like what my specific interest is like no does it mean they're not photographers no and like there's people who do iphone stuff that have way more cred than i'll ever have you know but um go them that's my answer go them i i agree with that like i mean as long as you're creating and not hurting other people go nuts mm-hmm feels right to you and on insects wide insects wide is a beautiful uh, film medium 
Um, Fuji's cameras are pieces of shit. Yep, the battery door on my two ten wide broke like every time. Yeah, and just like you know, the plastic lenses, and it just doesn't do justice. But like you know, Dave Rollins took a picture of me with uh, Instax wide on his Crown Graphic, and yeah, was... yeah, dude, I have that picture. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's so cool. I totally forgot about that until, and I got excited. Um, yeah. And yeah. there, there was a, a dude um, at, with at, he, with a goose. He had the Instax wide on, on a goose. And like, that was beautiful too. So it's like, Fuji makes a beautiful film. Like all the Instax film is really beautiful. Most of the Instax cameras are complete garbage. Like I don't even use the Instax cameras anymore. Like I have a Leica Sofort for the mini because mm -hmm. it has a glass lens it's nice and then i use a lamography square for the square film because it has a glass lens and it's really nice um and the medium looks great on those cameras so i've always wanted to try and shoot instant film on like i guess a four by five like integral film and like yeah. everyone tells me you can't do it like, like oh you can it's it's quite easy actually so all you have to do is take an old four by five sheet and then just sort of like trace out on it the the film and then cut in the corners on the four by five sheet so you could tuck the corners of the integral film onto the yeah. four by five sheet and then just load that into a film holder um for polaroid film if you're going to do it face it front if you're going to do fuji film face it backwards because polaroid film exposes from the front of the frame okay Instax film exposes from the rear of the frame. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I learned to do that and do like some shallow stuff and like, but now that I have this with the, well, my whole thing was I need wanted to do a, use a 10 stop and I thought it'd be easier to do it on a bigger camera. But now that I found this little thing, um, I'm pretty stoked to try it. And now I always thought I was like, I've been trying to do that for like a year like I, or two years. I'm like, I've always talked about that I wanted to do it. And some, I'm gonna say I'll make a mean word. Like some gal beat me to it and did like this beautiful long exposure on the beach, and it's like the prettiest Polaroid I've ever seen. And I'm like, you beat me to it. And I've been talking for like two years. So I was gonna do this, and now I feel ashamed and dumb, but not really. But uh, you know what I mean. So, I mean, whoever that is, we just featured it on my Instagram on our Instagram today, um, actually. So shout out. Shout out to Tori and Lynn for being our social media gurus and making my life easy. But it was a, it was by, oh, it was, it was, it was a guy. It was Luigi. He did a, a shot called Ethereal. Anyway, it's on our Instagram at Analog for Brazine. Nice. Dude, it's sick. It's just sick. And I'm jealous. So. Well, I'm curious to see what, uh, what you get with, uh, with the 10 stop ND. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I saw that one on, on the Yeah, website. man. It's so cool. So, yeah, man. Um, real, real quick, um, if you guys want to find where I'm at on the internet, and most importantly, the magazine, we're passionate about it. We love analog film. We feature and interview photographers of all levels of career. We've featured one artist in this last edition that just came out. Never been in print before, never done an interview before. Like, it's out there. The opportunity's there with us, at least. 
and we're pretty fair. You can find us on Instagram at Analog Forever Zine and analogforevermagazine.com on the internet. And if you guys want to buck off your subscription from now until, we'll say, Sunday night, you can use the code Merlin and you can subscribe. And that's cool. And then you can find me at just my name, Michael Beatlin, um, on Instagram. And my website is uh, don't shake it like a Polaroid.com. Because you shouldn't. You it's can't. not It's rude. It's, it's mean. Well, it's not that only it's rude and it's not mean. It's not, it's not firm until it sets. So if you shake it too aggressively, you could actually smudge the photo. Yeah, man. So come in this conception. Don't listen to Outcast. Listen to your book. Outcast lied. They lied. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for being on people and uh thank you everyone for uh tuning in um next week i'm gonna have uh michael delacross uh from retro photo york on yeah um he's going to be i believe in a u-haul driving back from reno with a bunch of stuff so we'll see how long the chat lasts while he is on the road but uh really curious to see um what he's up to and hear about the work that he's been doing with the uh the new store that he's launched there uh, in philly which sounds amazing and you can pick up copies of analog forever there too because he's one of our newest stockists so yeah i saw that um he he sent me uh, some photos of the the stack of uh, books he's got there so yeah it should be fun but thank you everyone for tuning in and uh we'll see all you guys next week bye guys thanks michael you're cheers. welcome cheers